Hi everybody, my name's Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And Bayana was a collegiate leader at the Bible College there, and he traveled around the country with, I think it was Sid Newcomb and others, and translated, and that led to the following summer, Bayana coming to PCC as an intern and working with the tennis program. And that flourished an ongoing relationship with Bayana and his ministry in Malawi. Bayana is a leader in the media markets in Malawi, both radio and television. He has programs where he interviews leading uh, personages in Malawi, uh, questions about uh, faith, questions about uh, the difficult topic of corruption. He was instrumental in opening up the dialogue in Malawi uh, on the HIV uh, AIDS topic. So, Bayana, we're pleased and blessed to have you. So, the passage this morning is in Matthew 25, starting in verses 31 through 46, if you'd like to follow along. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you to come in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So, Bayana, it's all yours. Can we please give a PCC welcome to Bayana Chunga?
I bring you greetings from my wife, Shingi, my two daughters, Kwamara and Watonda, who are eight and five years of age, respectively. I remain indebted and grateful to this church and to many of you for your prayers and for your support in the ministry that we're involved in in Malawi. Our, mes our message today is taken from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. The background to this is that the disciples want to find out what's going to happen in the end times. And Jesus, in response, gives them a series of parables and stories and tries to explain to them. And this is the last story that he gets to tell them. And it's the, one of the most misunderstood parables in the church. Primarily not because it's the most complex passage of scripture from a theological point of view, but because we choose, we're living in a generation that chooses to hear what our itching ears want to hear. In fact, the Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, Paul writes to the young Timothy, and he says, for, the, for time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Jesus starts this passage by referring to himself as the son of man. This is a humble, down-to-earth, messianic title. And compare that with verse 34, when Jesus begins to call himself king. And later on in the passage, he refers to himself as judge. Well, the reality of the matter is that Jesus we call humble, down-to-earth messiah shall one day rise to become a judge and the tides will change. Jesus explains to a very attentive group of his disciples that there's a time when he will come with this battalion of angels and sit on his glorious throne and that people from all nations will gather together. Jesus underscores one biblical truth which is often obscured Coming judgment is a reality. And a lot of us, we don't want to talk about it. In fact, preachers, we don't want to talk about judgment. It makes you unpopular. But this is not a popularity contest. This is a matter of life and death. And what Jesus is telling his disciples is exactly and precisely what is going to happen in the end times. Ethical life is shorter than we think. And blessed are those who put their trust in Jesus. We often live our lives as if we have no expiry date to existence. A few days ago, I was in a shop in Redwood City, and I wanted to buy a coat because I speak quite a lot and I visit a lot of places in high schools and colleges and conferences, preaching the gospel and speaking uh, the gospel of truth, sometimes I need a few good quotes. And so when I, each time I come over to Redwood City, I take advantage to buy a few and that I can use for my ministry back home. Uh, 
but also the fact that I appear on TV, I need to look good. <laughs> so anyways, I, I was in Redwood City trying to buy a coat, and the arms were much longer than, than, than what I can wear. But the lady in the shop had good news for me. She said, you know, we can do alterations. Give us two weeks, and you'll be good to go. And then I remembered that in two weeks, I'll be in a different continent. <laughs> and because I remembered that, I looked at her and said, I'm sorry, I don't think I can be able to buy. And I walked out. The mere fact that my there's a limitation to my stay in Redwood City determined the decisions that I was going to make in that shop. Does the limitation of our stay on earth determine how you and I live every day? It should. It really should. Does the reality of our short stay on earth affect the decisions that we make? The decisions that we, that we make reflect our values. And our values depict our identity. Our identity showcases how we live life. One of the things that comes out very clear in the passage is the comparison that Jesus gives between two groups of animals, sheep and goats. It is common in Israel to have these two animals mixed. And shepherds have to divide them. Sheep and goats, despite their similarities, do not eat nor rest very well together. As you may know or suggest, sheep are generally docile, gentle, easily laid, but also easily scared. The goats on the other side are very unruly and very difficult to manage. I remember as a young boy in Africa trying to take care of goats and, and cows, and, and it's a nightmare to take care of many goats together. <laughs> in fact, in my native language, there's a word for goats, and it's mbuzi. And if someone calls you mbuzi, you should know that you are perhaps the worst person in terms of taking instructions. Because that's what mbuzi do. They, they just have a hard time taking instructions. And in this story, there's a comparison between the sheep and the mbuzi. And the mbuzi are the non-believers. And the sheep, the gentle, docile, taking instructions from God, are those people that have entrusted their lives in God and God himself. Well, Jesus says, at the, last, at the, at the end time, during judgment, these shall be separated. It doesn't matter how close they may look, they will be separated. It doesn't matter how pretentious non-believers may try to look like believers. God says, I'll sift them out from my flock. No amount of crookery, no amount of crookedness will hide the sin of man from the eyes of Christ the judge. And those that will escape his wrath will do so, not because they're clever, but because Christ's righteousness has been imputed on them. Because a savior called Jesus died on the cross. And all those that bowed to him in total surrender 
have an opportunity to have a relationship that's eternal with him. Picture this. In that great climatic day, when Jesus comes and is ready to set up his kingdom, he has landed in Jerusalem. His throne is here. He's going to rule the world. In his coming, you remember, he destroyed all the armies of the Armageddon. He defeated all the nations that were fighting against him. In a fierce bloodbath, he comes out the victor. And having defeated all his enemies, having come back to reign, he established his throne. He collects all the people together, and on his right, he puts the believers. They're separated from the gods. And he says to them, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I have a question for that. What is the basis for these people being invited by Jesus and Jesus saying, come here, share eternity with me? What is the basis? Go again to verse 34. It says, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Well, if you notice very clearly, the inheritance of heaven was created for believers way before they did any good works. Isn't that amazing? This agrees with what Paul writes in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9. And I'll read that very quickly. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Jesus Christ to do good works. Which God prepares, prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. We can therefore conclude. That good works do not precede salvation, but that good works are an after effect of salvation. Jesus, in verse 35, speaks something that has become the center of attraction for this entire passage. Verse 35, Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me in. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Later on, he says the same words, to the, applying to the other side. That I was in prison, and you never came to visit me. I was hungry, and you never fed me. And so go away from me. Well, we have tried to look at these words and say that the reason why these people are being invited to share eternity in heaven with Jesus is because they visited him when he was sick. Well, not necessarily. Well, the truth is, true faith is sensitive to the physical needs of people in your surroundings. If you truly have a meaningful relationship with God, you'll be able to open up your eyes 
and be able to see the areas of need in other people and be able to pray, be able to meet those needs in whatever ways we can. It's the vertical relationship with God that affects our horizontal relationship with how we relate with people. It's not the horizontal relationship that starts. It's the vertical relationship with God. And those that truly know and have experienced the love of God have no option but to permeate that vertical experience into this horizontal effect to the people who live around them. So truth, faith, is sensitive to the needs of the people around it. First, their spiritual and also their physical needs. Faith without works, James said, is dead. We cannot claim that we love God when we pay a blind eye to those that I need around us. Malawi is one of the five poorest countries in the world. And we have plenty of stories to tell about poverty. But the one thing I have realized is that even the little things that you can do for someone who is in need can mean everything. And I'm, and I'm just talking about, I'm just talking about physic, physically being in need in terms of hunger. But I'm even talking about even emotional need. In 2016, those fake news that came out in one of the media outlets in the country that I was part of a team that was trying to topple the government. And that's a treason case. And treason is punishable by death in my country. And so in 2016, as a treason suspect for standing out and preaching the gospel and speaking out against corruption. Well, that's what you get for fighting corruption in Africa. But I was shaken by two things. Oh, anyways, by the way, in case you may, I may need to elaborate more on that, the story claimed that I was working with the American ambassador, Virginia Palmer, to Malawi, you know, to, to get this thing done. Well, until to date, I've never met in person with Virginia Palmer, and I don't have her cell phone number, and I knew it was all propaganda, but, and, and God was faithful, he saw us through that. But two things got my attention in that whole episode, and one was, how can people sink so low as to create and fabricate stories just to, just to damage and destroy others? But there was also something that got my attention. How little statements, one paragraph of an email, a phone call from a friend, a verse from a supporter in the U.S. made the whole difference in my life. The little things that we think do not matter, they do matter. And Jesus says, in the passage, the list of things that you did to the list of people, you did it to me. And so sometimes we're looking for big things to do to, to people. But Jesus is saying even the littlest of things, even the most little things can actually make the difference. Well, I live in a country where People preach prosperity gospel. And you can understand how and why. 
in a people, in a nation ravaged by poverty, people are looking for quick fixes. And if anybody says, if you receive Jesus, next day you're going to be a millionaire, I'll go to the church. But what I want to say this morning is that what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? That's Mark chapter 8, verse 36. Salvation is the ultimate hope for mankind in Malawi, in America, in Redwood City, in my church back home, at PCC. This world needs Jesus. This is the ultimate hope. Francis Assisi is often remembered to have said these words that history has proven that he did not say. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Well, the meaning to that, or this statement suggests that you can just love people. You don't have to share Jesus. Well, let's get back to the Bible. Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Paul writes and says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? The gospel has got to be shared. And it has got to be shared to everybody that we can get to. I can have a good education, a good dad, a good family, good everything. But if I have no Jesus, before God I have nothing. No amount of my good works will ever be enough to please God. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6, the Bible says, All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. There's a story about a young man in Africa by the name of Mavuto. Mavuto had a sister. Her name was Chifundo. And both of them were orphans. They lived with their grandmother in the village. Mavuto was a good student. And one day, with his friends, they got some slingshots and started playing this game and competing aiming at trees and all kinds of targets. Well, Mavuto was the most miserable shooter. I mean, he missed every target. And all his friends were laughing at him. And on his way back that day, going back to the village, he was with his sister. He tried to practice. And he tried to aim at all these trees and all kinds of things. But every time he tried, he missed. And his sister would laugh even the more. Well, as they got to the village, he saw his grandmother's chicken. And he said, well, I'm, I always miss. So he took aim at the grandmother's chicken. And your guess is as good as mine. The chicken went down. Well, his first response was one of euphoria, one of excitement. Finally, I, I aimed right. I got something. And then that quickly faded away when he realized that he had actually just killed the grandmother's chicken meant for Christmas. 
He knew he was going to be in big trouble. So he rushed to his sister, who was standing in a distance, whispered, her something, whispered something to her, struck a deal that she was going to zip up and keep quiet about it. Well, he took the chicken, went behind the grandmother's house, and buried the chicken there. Went into the house like nothing happened. And in the evening, dinner time, everybody's laughing and cracking jokes like nothing happened. Until when it came for the dishes. It was Chifundo's turn, his sister, to do the dishes. But Chifundo said, today I'm not going to do the dishes. Mavuda stood up and said, Grandma, I mean, that's, that's, that's unbelievable. But my sister can send me to do dishes when the roster is very clear. It's our turn. And the sister looked at the brother and signaled something to the effect that if you don't do the dishes, you know what I'll tell grandma. He jumped off his seat and said, okay, I'll do the dishes. I'll do the dishes. In Sunday school, they've been telling us about how we should help each other in. I just feel like being kind and helpful to my sister. And he did all the dishes. And this happened like three, three four times. Until one day, Mavuto said, enough is enough. Went to his grandmother, knelt down with tears coming down and said, Grandma, I have a confession to make. I killed your chicken. And the grandmother said, can you come over here? At the invitation, he knew he was done, he was finished. But he was surprised when the grandmother hacked him and said, that day, I was standing by the window and I saw everything. In fact, I knew it from the start that you didn't do it intentionally. I, for I forgave you that same day. But I was waiting for you to come. I've been seeing you, what you've been doing with your sister and how she's been blackmailing you. And I was just waiting for that moment when you're going to say enough is enough. He cried out even the more. They hacked together. And that is a story of you and I. For how long shall the devil blackmail you? For how long shall we be yoked and live in secrecy of our sin? God says, I saw whatever you did. You cannot hide it from me. Judgment day is real and is coming. But blessed are those who come and say, Grandma, I killed your chicken. I sinned against you. And I ask from you your forgiveness. For he says, I will forgive you. Hallelujah. It is possible to be part of a church, to give to the poor, but essentially missing on the list to heaven. God is extending that opportunity to you and me to surrender our sinful nature to him, to, to, him, to repent of our sins and to allow Jesus to take full control of our lives. There's no better relief in one's life than the day when you kneel down and pour out all your secrets to God for forgiveness. It doesn't matter how bad your story has been. God says, before the judgment day, 
I can forgive anybody. Allow me to remind you of a story that happened in the 80s. An Avianca flight 011 registration HK2910 was a Boeing 747-283B on an international scheduled passenger flight from Frankfurt via Paris and Madrid to Bogota. The year was 1984, and it crashed into a mountain in Spain. Well, investigators found the flight recorder, the black box, and they monitored the cockpit conversation before the accident. There was an automated, synthesized voice from the cockpit's computer system warning the, the, the pilot to fly a little higher and this is what literally the synthesized voice said. Pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up. To the investigator's surprise, the pilot snapped at the computer's voice and said, shut up, gringo, shut up, gringo. Then flipped off the warning switch. A few minutes later, the plane crashed into the mountain. What if God is saying and speaking to us this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit and saying, repent, 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 repent. For how long should we ignore the switch? How long shall we ignore God's word, warning us with love? Judgment day is coming, and it's a reality. I hate to be the one to tell you, but it has to be told. But there's good news, and the good news is Jesus Christ. He extends his arms, even to a wretched person like me, and says, Bayana, regardless of your story, regardless of what you have done, it doesn't matter where you have been, who you have been with, but if you come by faith and surrender your life to me, I'll take care of business, and you and I are going to stay together and spend eternity together in heaven. What a glorious invitation that you can ever tell to your neighbor, you can ever tell to your grandmother, you can ever tell to people in Malawi, you can ever tell to anybody living in this country. No better invitation than the invitation of God through the salvation of his son, Jesus Christ. It's my prayer and it's my hope that the spirit of God shall continue speaking to us to have this relationship, honest, sincere relationship with God. And when we have it, it's amazing because he begins to open our eyes and we can see those people that are in prison and visit them. We can be able to see those people that I need and take care of them. Because our vertical relationship with God has just now began affecting our horizontal effect to the world that we live in. May God bless you. Amen. Let us pray.
Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we can be able to come before you and hear your word. I'll be honest, we don't want to talk about judgment. We don't want to talk about you as this God who is going to come one day with your battalion of angels and separate people. In fact, in our vocabulary, oh God, we don't want to hear about separation. We want to always remember you as this glorious, merciful, gracious Messiah. But there's another side that has got to be spoken about you. And that is, you will rise to that throne and be the judge and be the king. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity you've given, you've given us all. An opportunity to come before you in repentance. An opportunity for a fresh start. A new relationship with you, O God. We thank you for your death on the cross. For that covered the magnitude of our sins. And opened the entry door to a new relationship with you, O Father. We thank you for this moment. And pray that you're going to continue speaking to the depths of our hearts. May your name be glorified, O God, as you touch us for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we praise and glorify you. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.